Special guest today, hailing from San Antonio, Texas, a sixth generation Texan, the one and only Bruno Garcia, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, a true sports fan at heart. Started his career in auto parts retail uh, to navigating um, the insurance industry at USAA uh, for eight years doing that. And then got into uh, Toyota, um, into Dr. Pepper, serving in HR, then continuous improvement. And then as a leader of two different sites, now at McCormick, um, doing it again. So that's a, a nice piece of your story we'll get into. Uh, growing, up, growing up in Texas, went to San Antonio High School. My family's from San Antonio. And I asked my mom, I was like, hey, mom, is there a San Antonio high school? Now, yeah. So, like, what was, which one was it? Yeah. So, San Antonio is kind of one of those, uh, one of those cities where they ask you where you went to, you know, where you went to school. And, and we don't mean college in San Antonio. We mean, like, where'd you go to, where'd you go to high school? So, I was fortunate enough to go to James Madison High School on James the North Madison side of town. And, uh, and, and still, I'll tell you, most of my, most of my friends on social media are classmates that, that I keep up with or we keep up with each other. It was a really great time to be growing up in San Antonio. And, and, uh, I was fortunate that we didn't move a lot, but San Antonio was a yeah. military, military town. So it was kind of interesting. Like I never moved, but every three years I'd have to make some new friends because they would all PCS to other locations because we had Fort Sam Houston and, you know, an army post we had uh, a couple of air force bases uh yeah you when know, you Randolph, say pcs Blackburn. that means yep. move right yeah, like that's yeah, a military yeah. term for move yeah yeah they would they would move so uh it was a great great time to be in san antonio great place to grow up and and i went to a fantastic high school in my in my humble opinion awesome um in that high school you were a uh, ROTC rotc candidate yeah and ended up being your senior year the battalion commander um so um you know, similar experience here from a like before you get get there type of leadership role. So that was really cool to see. Um, and then you had some really cool, good Vietnam vet advisors. One mm. being Colonel Johnson, who passed away from <clears throat> from cancer and Agent Orange exposure. Um, Let's go into it now. Like, what do you remember about that guy? Oh yeah, look, I'll tell you the high school. I mean, the high school years were were where I really started gravitating towards leadership and really understanding what it took to be an influencer or what relationships you needed to establish and, and maintain. And you know, how do you lead with credibility? So you know, Colonel Johnson was a was a great mentor of mine. You know, he he. <laughs> He joined as, as our army instructor in my, you know, at the beginning of my sophomore year. So my freshman year, it was, it was okay. Uh, but my sophomore year, Colonel Johnson was new to that position, you know, and, um, and I really just gravitated towards, you know, his style of, of leadership, his style of coaching and mentoring. Uh, and, you know, ROTC, like, like other, other organizations or clubs or athletics that you do in high school, right? We have extracurricular activities, you know, there's competitions around color guard and, uh, you know, drill team, orienteering team, there's physical fitness team, there's a rifle team. So, you know, being able to interact with him, I was big on the extracurricular activities there, um, you know, doing all those things. And he was just a fair, you know, fair gentleman, 
had, uh, you know, kids growing up just like he was getting to coach and yeah. teach there in, in RTC, but yeah, but he was fair. Um, you know, first Cav, uh, Gary Owen division, you know, led a platoon in, in Vietnam and, and, you know, he, he always taught you some, some good leadership lessons. I believe he was a silver star winner in, in Vietnam. So just someone early on that I, that I really highly, uh, respected and, and he invested in me on a personal level. You know, these are the things that you, you need to be mindful of these things you need to work on. What's your goal? I said, well, this is my goal by my senior year. And he said, well, this is how you would achieve that goal, right? Let's talk about it. Let's, let's follow up and let's measure your progress, you know, on a certain cadence. And so that's where like I started learning a lot of like how I lead an organization today was kind of how Colonel Johnson coached and mentored me during my high school years, you know, still yeah. carry, still carry on those lessons today. <clears throat> Definitely someone that's probably paid the price of admission. Yeah. Um, next one, Sergeant Major Jimenez. Yeah. Uh, he's a Green Beret. And, um, uh -huh. you know, in that ROTC, um, you know, program was an advisor to you, but he also advised the Vietnamese army, mm -hmm. uh, you know, during that time. Um, another place I got to stop and ask, like, tell me more about that guy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Sergeant Major Jimenez was kind of a no nonsense, uh, individual, great sense of humor though. Great, great teacher, Great instructor. You know, we would go to summer camps in the in the summer at Camp Bullis, Texas. And, you know, what a privilege it was. With, there was a lot of former Green Beret, uh, what they called Mac V. Sog, the, the original advisors that kind of went into uh, Vietnam in the 1965 and on. And, and all those gentlemen, if you will, um, became ROTC instructors. You know, normally you had a, a an officer that was the senior army instructor and then you had a, a non-commissioned retired non-commissioned officer that was the uh assistant army instructor so we were fortunate in the northeast school district there in san antonio there was master sergeants first sergeants sergeant majors they were all green berets we'd go to summer camp they they teach you how to do some things uh you know you'd learn basics of survival you certainly learn how to read a map and a in a compass so you'd never be lost in in life but but you also learned a lot about camaraderie and and those things. So Sergeant Major was the pinnacle of that. Uh, for me, he's, you know, probably around 82. I, I try to talk to him about every year and, uh, and stay in touch, but he's, he's definitely somebody I'd say early on, we had our hot and cold moments, but as I matured as a leader in, in ROTC, yeah. I began to kind of see where he was pressing me for, for higher expectations, if you will. So, so great, That's great, great gentleman. That's the beauty of a senior enlisted advisor is pressing <laughs> you sure. on those hot, hot and cold moments for sure. For sure. Awesome. Um, you know, back in San Antonio, big Spurs fan growing yeah. up. Um, I remember when I was a kid and I had David Robinson and all the posters hung up in my wall because my, my grandparents lived in San Antonio. They'd send those mm -hmm. posters in the mail, uh, not an email, but in the snail mail. Uh, and, and like, Talk about uh, looking up to someone, you know, looking at people that compete, people mm -hmm. that, you know, are, you know, looking for, you know, a good fun ride on what could be um, San Antonio Spurs were definitely that. So, yeah, you know, Tony, a lot of folks don't know, like there was a 20 year span of time, you know, San Antonio, that's the only pro sports game in town is the Spurs. So you 
you know, the price of admission in San Antonio is you better be a Spurs fan and then any other sport, <laughs> any other sport you can pick it. But, you know, there was a 20 year period of time where, you know, the Spurs were the dominant franchise yeah. in all of global sports, you know, there for that period of time. And so, um, you know, it was a, it was a fun time to be there. And then San Antonio was the type of city when we'd win a championship, the whole city came together, knew how to, knew how to do a celebration, didn't tear the town apart. Um, you know, it, it was just great, great period of time there. And, and, and hopefully now with this next lottery pick, uh, you know, and, and coach Popovich signing another extension, maybe there's one more, one more run in store That's with awesome. Wemby, with Wemby on the squad. Yeah, definitely. Uh, part of your hobbies was the going to the live sporting events yeah. and you yeah. know, a big part of, of what gets you going. Um, so how does that San Antonio Spurs kind of like hometown feel rooting for the guys in your town. How does that relate as a Buffalo Bills fan? Oh up? yeah. I'll well, I'll tell you. Yeah. I, I grew up a Cowboys fan. Um, just like every, every young Texan probably did in the seventies and eighties. And, and probably I, I meet Cowboys fans all over. The more I've traveled for my career, the more Cowboys fans I, I've come across as they were known as America's team. But I, yeah, I grew up as a Cowboys fan and then, um, you know, I was probably pretty young and opinionated in, in, in the late 80s when, when there was an ownership change with the Cowboys. And the first thing that the new owner did was let go of Tom Landry, who was like a the only head coach of the Cowboys in, in the history of the franchise. And I opened up the, the San Antonio Express News back then and started looking at the standings of the, of the NFL. And this is probably real late 80s, 88, 89. And um just took a look at the Buffalo Bills and picked them as my next team. And the next thing I know, like the next season, they went to four, you know, they went to their first Super Bowl, lost in a, a wide right field goal. But um, Jim Kelly had been a Houston gambler. Thurman Thomas, who's, you know, Hall of Fame running back, Hall of Fame quarterback. Thurman Thomas had, uh, was originally from Houston. And I just really liked the squad. I liked the team. And then, I got on that wagon and followed him to four straight defeats. And, you know, now 32, 33 years later, probably 34 now, 34 years later, still a Bills fan, been to a number of, a number of games and just always, always liked the fan base. There's only one Bills mafia. Um, but it's always funny because when I tell folks from that area that I'm a Bills fan, they're like, how? Like, no one's a Bills fan out of the Western New York area. How did you become one? So, you know, there were some sites that, you know, were part of our network when we worked together that I would go go visit that had an affinity there for those that team. And, and they would always ask me questions about how I became a Bills fan from uh, South Texas. Nice. All right. Um, last hobby that you're into. And I got to ask more about this, too, because it intrigues me is aviation. Mm. Yeah. Are you, are you flying like what are you doing? So it was a childhood dream uh, to be a to be a pilot. I didn't have all my my stuff squared away like uh, Scooby Shoes or anything like that to to actually see that see that through. But uh, but he was a, a a huge hero of mine when we when we worked together, and he's been on an episode of yours. So I was glued into that. But no, aviation was a dream as a as a child, and it didn't matriculate, you know, as a career. But but as I've as I've gotten older, I've certainly been able to do some things that have, uh, you know, satisfied that, that interest in aviation, whether it's discovery flights, uh, you know, 
flying a Cessna over the Smoky Mountains or, you know, awesome. doing a couple of approaches and things like that with some qualified instructors. I've never doubled down and actually seen the certification through. I think that's still a bucket list of mine. But I will say with, with the right um, with the right hardware, um, you can build a pretty good flight simulator in your own uh, in your nice. own man cave or basement or whatever that can replicate some some pretty cool things and you can you can learn the basics. But I love going and love air shows when I was a kid. My dad would take me every year. It would alternate between Kelly Air Force Base uh, and Randolph Air Force Base, and my dad would would take me. And I think back to the days when air shows were. I mean, air shows were air shows. We saw. Yeah. SR-71, F-14s, F-15s, saw the yeah, Apache. Yeah, San Antonio, Heli- big yeah. Air Force Base, right? Yeah, saw the Apache helicopter as a kid, saw that whole new technology come about. Now it's, you know, pretty pretty long in the tooth, if you will, but still serving a purpose as, a, as an asset in our military. But, yeah, I grew up just around all that. So I, I awesome. try to stay connected with aviation as much as I can. You uh, listened to the John and Ben Fay episode yet? Um I have that on my list, though. Have yeah, you on your list? As far okay. as the, the, the Blue Angels. I had Angel. to ask. Yeah. Um, so John's yeah. uh, the EXO of the Blue Angels. Right. So yeah, um, that, that was a good episode. All right. <clears throat> let's cut over. When that's, you know, quick intro, uh, a little bit of story there, uh, important to explore. Uh, now we get into the memory section. I got a lot of them, but we're going to kick it off with a guy named Gilberto. And you got to help me with the last name pronunciation because I always jacked it up. Chaviedo. There you go. Gilberto. Um, Here's a guy talking about Gilberto. Um, When I took over, you know, this, this plant in in Louisville, I, uh, this guy travels up to Louisville uh, in one of the most challenging times. Um, And he kind of fills a maintenance manager role for a while, not looking for any kind of credit, um, but a guy that's looking for experience to learn and, and, and develop. And, and he was so impactful. Um, you called him, uh, the soldier, right? Yes. Um, he said, Bruno represents what a mentor should be for everyone. Um, he'll take you by the hand and he'll do the whole, I do, we do, you do then encourage and support along the way. Berto um, was also, he was kind of nervous in his first Kaizen report out because when we did those, it's network wide. Everybody's on from all the sites and leadership team, and senior leadership team. And, you know, folks that were, you know, lucky enough to get in on that call, you know, all the way down to the floor level. He was nervous about, you know, just mm-hmm. speaking in general with his language because there mm-hmm. was, you know, he's, he's learning the language a little bit. And uh, you said, Gilberto, uh, your English is good enough. You'll be fine. Make a script, practice it, then use it during the report out. And man, you did this whole thing. So it's not like you're not going to know what's going on, right? You got this. Uh, you know the material. And at the end of the day, there is no failure in this, only learning. Um, that was a key takeaway from him. Uh, mm-hmm. That and the aftermath, he just, it, it gave him a lot of confidence. You know, that's just one example. Um, but throughout his career, he's kept this as a mantra to this day in his professional journey. So next memory, 
a guy we call Freddie Federico Perez, um, remembers your journey, uh, you joining us or joining the, the Irving yeah. team <laughs> in your first or second, like MOR, when we say MOR, monthly review, how'd the plant do for the month? Everybody's in the room that matters uh, down in Texas. And um, that that's when you were in the HR position. Uh, it was a corporate support role, uh, but you, you know, showed up. Freddie had to drive the meeting that day. So when I say drive the meeting, he was in charge of the flow. Uh, and it was the first year for him in that plant. Uh, Freddie's from Mexico. Um, he actually turned the plant around and, and excuse me for the pronunciation, Freddie, Tohomoco, Mexico? Yeah, Lahamoco. Lahamoco. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, with his, uh, you know, servant leadership mindset and, and TPM expertise. Yeah. Um, but while he was driving the meeting, Freddie told everyone to look at the first sheet. But in his dialect, it came out as a different word um, with an I in it. And everyone kind of put on a long face. Look at the first she sheet. Um, but Bruno um, took the steering wheel at that moment, kind of because he kind of felt like, oops, like I didn't mean to do that, but I accidentally did that. Um, and said this thing in this language that I'm learning and I'm, you know, it, it, that, that wasn't good. You took the steering wheel of the meeting, put it in the right direction for Freddie to feel co comfortable and uh, not kind of feel that way. So um, since that day, y'all established a great relationship and camaraderie, but two-way streak. Said you're a great leader, supportive, and very humble. All right, next one. Sean Fernando, a direct boss I had for a couple of years. Sean noted you um, as a Christian gentleman, straightforward. You embodied the humble, hungry, and smart model in it for the work that glorifies your faith. Winds come through your team. Had a long night, you know, an early morning one time down in Mexico. We had a you know lean boot camp down there um, over a few cervezas, and it was great to connect uh, with you on that event. Um, when you were leading HR, um, when when he was in the Texas plant, very genuine. Um, he felt really supported, and you supported. Uh, an accelerated talent flow to make positive business transfer transformation. And then along came the results, a top talent attractor. Um, Sean mentioned you supported him and, and, and stood some ground with somewhere in the recruiting process, uh, not settling for mediocre talent. So he was a strong partner in our success. Uh, a guy named Sean and Ken also supported that talent drive as well with your support, um, which built a lot of trust there. Lastly, a servant leader uh, and very proud to call him a friend. Next one, Davies. Um, 
Always remember Bruno, not for what he said, but how he made you feel. Whether it's the janitor or the CEO, he just knew how to make people feel valued and appreciated. He said he is a mentor of mine for sure. All right, only two more. So like I said, it's the longest memory page I've ever had. Um, Two more. Next one, Fernando Cortez. Uh, A few comments from the boss's boss's boss um, a few years back. Bruno was a humble student of lean and solid leader. Biggest memory you had of you when you led the first lean boot camp for the supply chain. Um, That was the first plant manager club thing that I ever went to when I was in my early years. Um, He said, the way you approach the team content and heart that you put into it was second to none. Um, So genuine as well, talking about you. Also, many great memories of of you leading Knoxville. You know, it's the largest coffee plant in, in the company. Uh, and it's a very complex operation that needed hard work, leadership, and coaching. He's always been hard on the problems, but not on people. Solid professional. Last one, right? So a guy that goes back 30 years, a guy named Rodney Souza. Um, you guys worked together when you were the manager at Pet Boys. And you were only, what, 21 years old? Yes. Yeah. He said you had a great sales spirit about you. Uh, he also said you were a string bean back there in the nineties. Um, <laughs> maybe not, you know, uh, yeah. 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 It was a little lighter, a little lighter. Yeah. Um, Rodney had started a ministry later down the, down the line. Um, he sent you a Bible. Um, yeah. That you shared a thankful sentiment on that, like that kind of yeah. like lifted you up, and he felt that echo. Um, it was encouraging, and it was great to, to connect with you after twenty years. I, know, I already know you because we we talk, you know, semi frequently, mm-hmm. and your ability to connect and, and keep people, you know, of the past motivated, or you know eyes on the prize is, is a big deal. And, and you can see that in Rodney's comments. Um, he said, you're a man that sharpens confidence. Sounds like exactly what Gil Barto said. Um, confidence in his friends, peers, you know, seniors, um, subordinates. Um, didn't surprise him to hear that you were leading the folks that you were leading today or have in the past. So, and I'm going to go and throw one in there. And you know this, I've told you this before. I've always wanted to communicate like Bruno because Bruno could walk in that room. Uh, you're the kind of, of communicator that can transform, that can help understand the why. So awesome to I have you on the day. And I appreciate leave, it. Dive into your story. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's great to hear um, so many memories. I would say, um, you know, like my greatest my greatest joys have always come from from working at working at something, working as a working as a team. So when I hear those 
those stories, some date back to, to 30 years. You know, they were all things that I, that I learned. I like being a part of a group. I like being part of a team. So when I think back to the high school, the high school years, you know, it was everything that you learned about how do you come together as a team and compete and, 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 uh, and, you know, all aligned for a common purpose. And the names that, that, that you gave the, I mean, wonderful leaders, all of them, all folks that, that, that I certainly ad- admire on, on a mutual basis. You know, Gilberto, in particular, he just texted me, you know, over the weekend and he's like, Hey, I've got this next opportunity and I'm moving my family again. And, and, yeah, uh, you know, I'm going to do something. Him. Yeah. You know, and it's like, gosh, when I, when I met Gilberto, right, it was, it was taking on a new site in Miami, Florida. And, you know, Gilberto was, uh, running a can line as a production supervisor at night, like one can line at night and i i got to interact with him and i was like who is this young young person right dude got you're meant so for much more. energy yeah that's what let's I said. go it's like let's get you to daytime and uh and see what you can do and next thing you know he's he's helping you in louisville and now he's leading up one of the largest sites from an from an operations side but but the part that goes back to to the um you know how do you how do you make everyone feel valued you know I'll never forget a story where, you know, Gilberto said, he's like, when I came to the U.S. from, from Venezuela and I had a, an, an industrial engineering education from a Venezuelan university and I came to look for work in Miami, I went to an employment office and they offered me a job as a roofer. And look, we need roofers, right? And that's a, that's a heck of a, heck of a career and a it's heck a of a job. It's a piece of a job. Like, but yeah, but it was like, you know, we're looking at an industrial engineer here. So I, I made it a mission, you know, to, to find opportunities for those individuals. And then, yeah, Freddie, great, great relationship with uh, Freddie. So much mutual respect. Um, you know, there was a time when I had a, I had received an award and 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 Freddie said, hey, I want to recognize that, you know, Bruno received this award. And I was like, wow, you know, that was really great of you to do. And he said, you know, in my, in my culture, we, you know, we have a tradition and I'll, I'll translate it, but he says, you know, we honor those that, that have achieved the merit for it. Right. And it was just really cool there. And then Sean, you know, Fernando, like you, um, you know, you're going to go through ups and downs in, in, in life and career. I mean, you know, personally, my, my life is, my life is wonderful professionally. I'm always going to, you know, be thinking about it and be super hard on myself. But, you know, when you go through the ups and downs of a career, I think it really identifies, you know, who are the folks that, that are really packing your shoot, who really, you know, connects with you on a, on a genuine level, Sean Fernando, Freddie, you know, Gilberto, just like you, Tony, for me, uh, you know, we talk about things that are outside of the scope of, of, of just the things we're going to talk about today. We talk to one another as, as people who genuinely care for one another and, and we, we value the friendship, we value the camaraderie, uh, we value the sweat equity that the, we put yeah, into the our shared work. suffering. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Like Bakari talked about, you know, it's a lot of good stuff in, in that one. And then, um, you know, Davies too, I think like Davies, I, I mean, I had the opportunity to work with Davies. Like a lot of these gentlemen, uh, I was his HR business partner there. You know, I had an HR manager supporting, his site. So I, I talked to him on the people side, then I was in the CI role, then I then I went and ran a plant and then you know he got promoted. And then I was work you know, I worked for Sean Davies as a plant manager, right? 
And one of the things that I really admired, because I learned a lot from him kind of passively, and then and then I got to do a little bit actively. But it was really cool when I was a plant manager in Miami, and, and then Davies became the, the RVP for that, that took on that, that plant. And it was really cool when we first started talking to one another, because it was like, it wasn't about lean. Like, he's like, you know, there's nothing that I can share with you about about lean, right? Can you hear me still? Yeah. No, you're good. Okay. If, and, if it goes um, out, that's fine. Yeah. And he was like, but I, I can help. I can teach you how to how to run a plant effectively, you know? And I really appreciated, like, our basis on there because I was like, yeah, he actually can. Like, there was things about infrastructure that I needed to learn because I, I was I Yeah, was it's more than over. an A3 yeah. for sure. Yeah, it was more than an A3. It's more than, you know, the, the whole lean thing. But he's like, I, I, yeah, I can show you the levers of your P&L. I can show you how to make sure your infrastructure, you know, I learned more about RO water than I care to do in Miami, but he, he taught me so many cool things. And it was really great to have that brief relationship with him that, you know, continues to this day. And, and then, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been, it's been awesome to, uh, to have folks like that, you know, by your side that can share those things. And then, and then Rodney for, for sure, like that's a friendship, probably one of my longest friendships, active, active friendships, right. That, 30 something years and we're still, you know, talking as, as folks that just kind of talking about life's journeys together. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, take us back, take us back to the beginning of Bruno. Like you talked a little bit about your, uh, ROTC yeah. mentors and stuff. Like what made you Bruno? I mean, the beautiful thing about this, when I can get people to go back to where they came from is yeah. to understand the dynamics of their, you know, upbringing and to, like see where it takes them today. So, yeah, no, I mean, I guess, you know, what, what made me was a really solid, solid upbringing and, and, you know, great, great parents to, to provide that background. I would say, as I learned a little bit about where I came from, you know, I mentioned, you know, multiple generations in, in Texas, primarily on my father's, my father's side, you know, there's, I, I can go to a, 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 a ranch area, a farm area in South Texas where my, where my grandmother was, was born and raised and I can, I can see, you know, my great, great, great grandparents that are, that are buried there in this area in, in, in South Texas. And so as I began to learn, you know, more about that, I was kind of what kind of became my fabric was just, you know, the history of, of my family hardships, things, lessons learned and, and, and path forward. And then naturally, as you get older, you're like, how the heck did I come up with a name like Bruno? Right as you sent me a video like many have of your children singing, we don't talk. Yeah. I'm sure that totally looking back on that. I'm sure it totally annoyed you. Yeah. No, so (laughs) it was all good, but you know, I I actually come from a pretty long line of, of of Bruno's there in in South Texas. I would, I would probably say what really shaped me, um, you know, was just a, a solid relationship that I had with my, with my father growing up and just really understanding, you know, like, his his family's plight in in South Texas and and, and the things that they they dealt with and and how you know the, the lineage is matured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Other South Texas. Would, yeah, further south than that, not quite to the not quite to the Rio Grande Valley, but you know, there's a there's a, a small town in South Texas called San Diego, Texas, which is probably 150 160 miles south of San Antonio about 10 miles west of a town called Alice, Texas, and maybe 60 miles west of a town called 
Corpus Christi. And, and that's the hub of where my family roots come from. Nice. Um, you know, my, my, my grandfather who I'm, who I'm named after Bruno, you know, Bruno Garcia was, uh, he, he not only served in World War II, he, he fought in World War II. And, um, you know, just, we're very fortunate. Yeah. I've had a little bit of time on my hands. I just got done with, uh, yeah. a few movies surrounding that. And it just makes me like ultimately, yeah. you know, again, appreciate where we live. Right. Yeah, no, for, I mean, for sure. You know, I think, you know, my grandfather leaving that small town with a seventh grade education, you know, enlisted in the army in January in 1941, which was actually before uh, Pearl Harbor, right? We didn't enter the war until, you know, December 7th, 1941. So my grandfather had, had left to go seek, you know, a, a, a better, a better living for himself and, and join the army. And then uh, Pearl Harbor, uh, occurred and then you know he found himself second infantry division uh so indian head which was primarily a texas unit of uh of war fighters if you will and and he was one of those groups that trained you know for multiple years while while the war was going on for the uh, you know for the eventual uh, invasion or liberation of of france so fortunately for me because i think it had a, it played a big part of me being able to be born and my yeah. dad being able to be born, my grandfather landed on Omaha Beach on D-Day plus one. Uh, and so the beachhead had Goodness. not yet been secured, but but uh, certainly the 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 ferocity of it all was was a little bit calmer. And they were they were finally securing the beachhead and uh, and making grounds to, to start to liberate France. And so my grandfather, you know, went to St. Lowe. Uh, there was a, a battle for Hill 192 that he that he took part in. And was awarded the Silver Star for single-handedly halting an enemy counterattack on that hill nice. uh, by burning a 50 caliber machine gun in action. So as I learned about those things growing up, I was like, "Gosh, I don't know, I don't yeah. know if I'd ever have what it takes to be him." But then Dude, uh, hitting the yeah. heavies back in that day, yeah, yeah, the, the heavy machine guns, it uh, that takes a different type of person for sure. Yeah, it really does. And then you know, awarded the Bronze Star for for volunteering for several hazardous missions over the the course of his time in theater and then lastly um, awarded the purple heart as they had moved on to uh, liberate the, the, the seaport of Brest, France, um, heavy city fighting, building to building. Uh, he, he took some shrapnel to the arm from an artillery shell. Um, the powers that be thought that he had done his time three months in theater, uh, a couple of battle stars uh, along the Only way. Only three months. Goodness. Silver star. Uh, bronze star yeah. purple heart in three months and then returned back to the states to convalesce and recover and then entered into his civilian life so that you know that to me is always you know the the backstory for me you know that that's my that's my dna that's my that's my what i live to aspire to you know demonstrate or be for people provide value to society grow and develop people, be a good teammate. Like, you know, that, that really framed the box really well for me awesome. growing up. And then, and then, you know, my dad modeled the, the, the same values, you know, was in the air force during the Vietnam uh, era, you know, stationed in Thailand at a time when B-52s would take off there every 90 seconds to, to go bomb the North. So, you know, it was kind of interesting because as, as I grew up and, expressed an interest in ROTC and things like that. It was always interesting to kind of, you know, see my parents probably coach me for something a little bit different than, than that experience, you know? And so, um, 
really helped me kind of figure out, you know, where I wanted to go professionally and, but, awesome. but with the name Bruno, what, what I, what I aspire to live up to, you know, I, I do carry that name with a, a, a great bit of honor, but it took me a long time cause they didn't, my parents didn't give me a middle name either. So, uh, so it was Bruno or nothing. So I don't have a whole yeah. lot of nicknames to share with you either, Tony. I got you. That's good. That's an awesome story. Thank you. So what comes next? Yeah. You know, I think, um, as we think about coming out of, uh, that period of time, I'm proud to say I was a, I was a dad really, really young, um, at 20, my oldest daughter's Lauren. She lives in Houston, uh, married, uh, two children. So I'm a granddad also, but, uh, you know, there were times when I had to really think about what my priorities were. So it, it, it taught me a lot about like, you can have your plans. I actually had a plan to be a history teacher, right? And those plans got awesome. interrupted. And that's where I really doubled down on the automotive retail experience. But it just like, if it's one thing I would share, it's like, you, you'll always have your plans and your ideal situation of where you want to be. But 100%. there are times when you're not going to get there and, and you need to navigate, you know, how you navigate through that, how you continue to grow, learn and develop through those periods and how do you find, you know, really happiness and purpose and where you're at, right? I, I think um, it was taught to us not too long ago where it's like we don't have to do things. We, we get to do them. So really trying to find those opportunities to get to do things. So it, it's interesting that I learned about like, yeah, I was in automotive retail and, and leading a store at a young age. But I was learning a lot about cost and staffing and scheduling and all those things I use today, I was I was learning at a at an early age, and then um, you know while 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 supporting a family, and then um, probably the biggest break I had was when I got into the insurance industry um, in a call center environment. Uh, you know, this insurance company primarily specialized in insuring members uh, of the military and their ex-dependents. And I got to really learn about like, what do values in an organization really mean, you know? And so um, I got to learn the insurance industry um, was a non-traditional college student that, that that insurance company that I worked for at that time. And the right at the turn of the millennium offered unlimited tuition reimbursement and had college counselors there on site. And I was like, there's my opportunity to go to school and, and, and finish my finish my degree. And so I, I charted a course to be a, an analyst uh, and went and worked on a, a BBA in information systems from a, a small private Catholic school there in San Antonio called University of the Incarnate Word. Uh, and you know, got done with that in a couple of years. Uh, became an analyst, did, you know, kind of followed my path that I wanted to do. I was presenting a lot of data and materials uh, on a monthly basis. So I got a lot of value in that, I think. Yeah, no. And like you said, I got to learn how to present because a lot of the business leaders at the insurance company that I was working at were all like retired (laughs) generals, you know? So I was like going into conference rooms with guys that had been, you know, on the joint chiefs of staff or had led, you know, major elements of a military operation. I was in there talking about insurance and the questions they asked me, the professionalism they displayed, the, the inquisitive nature that they demonstrated, it taught me a lot about like how to present material. So it was awesome uh, to do. And I was really comfy cozy, if you will, in this uh, cubicle environment, working for an insurance company, you know, doing well. 
And then, um, and then probably the, the biggest thing in the last 30 years to hit San Antonio popped up where, uh, you know, we were going to make Tundras, Toyota Tundras in, in my hometown yep. of San Antonio. And I was like, Been to that that really looks, you know, really looks exciting, really looks like something cool to be a part of and, and, and do. And so it was at that time, you know, early 30s, I was like, I think I've reached the pinnacle of what I'm going to do in the insurance industry. I'm ready to go try something different. And, and I would Same say, well. Tony, that, yeah, that moment um, entirely changed the trajectory of my, of my life. And, you know, getting to learn uh, in an automotive environment, all the things around lean systems and manufacturing. And, and I think I found out like I was pretty good at understanding the concepts and, and I was actually able to go apply what I learned and get some results and I'll tell you, I've been able to make a, a career out of that, you know, for the for the last 20 years of really learning that, doing it um, and doing it at all levels, you know, because as you think about when I got out of automotive and went into food and food and beverage, you know, we talked about there was a time when I wound up in, in human resources as part of my development. And it was a really cool time to be in human resources because there was a lot of talk about you know, strategic thinking and, you know, yeah, it starts how, do, there. how do we, yeah. How do yeah. We when get, you turn um, yeah, transformative. Yeah. And then, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, what's the business acumen you need? What's the analytical rigor you need? What's the thought leadership you need to be able to make those changes? So, you know, a lot of you all that, that I'm so close with now from our time together was all mostly in an HR space and then some in CI and then, and then some as a, a peer colleague operations leader. And, and I'll tell you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that career path uh, for anything. I've been able to pick up a, a lot of different skills and most importantly, a lot of different perspectives uh, on what it takes oh. to, you know, drive, drive success and drive some, some sheer transformative change. Because one of the things that I will say for us, you know, you, me, Sean, Gilberto um, is like, there's a lot of folks that, that can talk about the theory and, and you know, what things mean, the definition of things, yeah. the purpose Putting of it things. Into actions a totally different beast. But those that have actually done transformation, it separates, you know, it separates the practitioners from, from those that, that are still needing to you know, go and demonstrate. So, you know, th- those experiences that I've had over the last 20 years, I held every leadership position in an automotive manufacturing environment, my first job in manufacturing, I was a crane operator. I was an overhead crane operator. I was flying 60,000 pound dies uh, that we would go form out panels on. And I think back, what did that teach me? It taught me all the principles of standardized work, right? How do you write really good standardized work, safety key points, quality key points, efficiency key points. I got to learn all that at the ground level, uh, you know, be a team team leader or crew leader, whatever you'd say, you know, still an hourly member, uh, but but leading safety, quality, delivery and productivity, not having to deal with the HR piece, uh, but understanding what hour by hour targets mean, uh, you know, how do you secure conditions for production? How do you manage yeah. it hour by hour? It's how the main manage, effort. Yeah. Yeah. How do you manage yeah. known and unknown change points? And then how do you recognize and, and put it back into control abnormal situations? I got to learn all about that on the front line. Um, and then I got to go learn and teach the Toyota production system for, uh, I, I did that for about three years. And so that was a, that was a huge opportunity for me. Cause when you're, when you're new to that team, like you, you show up and they're like, 
you know, it's your first day and you're like, Hey, I'm reporting for this, for this new role. And they're like, okay, well, you know, here's a pencil and a piece of paper and a clipboard, follow me. And they, they take you out to a process out there in the plant and they'd be like, okay, well, your first assignment as part of this new group is I want you to stay here and identify a hundred things that are wrong with this process. And, and once you do that, go ahead and come back to the group office. And I was like, wow. Okay. Um, I will tell you with full humility, like I didn't go back to that group office for about three weeks. Like it took me <laughs> three weeks out there every day to find a hundred problems. But, but what it taught you was like, what lens do you apply to the problems? And most importantly, it taught you. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to know what the problems are, ask the operator. Right? They'll, they'll give you 50 problems right off the bat. Right. And so yeah. it took me a while to figure that out. But the lessons learned were were um, continue to serve me to this day, and so that was uh, three years of of like running continuous improvement, facilitating uh, the teachings, the learnings. Um, when we would host benchmark activities from healthcare facilities or the food bank, you know, we'd put together the curriculum and take them through what what does just in time mean, what does Kanban mean. So I got to learn. A lot of those things. So when Fernando talks about, you know, being a part of the team to put together that lean boot camp, I learned a lot of that when I was in that role on like, how do you create curriculum from scratch, right? What are you trying to do? And yeah. how do you take concepts from the whiteboard uh, to actual implementation? So I remember sitting around with, you know, a couple, couple of key players there in, in those days and saying, okay, we got a week long boot camp, what curriculum are we going to put together? So that time and that role served me well uh, in the comments that, you know, Fernando graciously, um, you know, provided on my behalf. And then, and then as part of my development, I had already done operations roles. I had already done um, the continuous improvement roles. The, the next part of my development was to go learn like an administrative function. So, you know, I could have gone to safety, could have gone to production planning, could have gone to accounting and finance, but I, I consider myself fortunate to have been slotted to go to uh, HR in a plant of, you know, 3000 people at that time. Yeah, it's a big one. And I was, yeah. And I was leading a, a team member relations team that, that really your sole, your sole purpose is to provide the pulse of the plant on a daily basis and a weekly basis and, and brief the leadership team on, you know, what's the pulse, right? Are we providing a safe working environment? Do do we provide effective two-way communication? Do we provide opportunities to grow and develop? And um, and I learned an interesting way of measuring that when I was in that role, because as I was being coached, they were like, when you ask those open-ended questions, ask whether they agree or they're neutral or they disagree. And I was like, okay. So, you know, right away I go out and do, and I come back with my data and in the biggest bar on my on my data set was not agree, it wasn't neutral. disagree, it was neutral. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so what's the purpose of this of this exercise? And and you know, my my instructor, if you will, or my coach at the time was like, Well, neutral means they disagree. They just don't trust you enough to tell you they disagree, so they're so yeah. they're neutral. So it was a really good lesson that I still apply to this day, you know, I'm always like, Hey, are, do you agree? Are you neutral? Yeah, do you disagree? I've done I'm always a couple like, times. where do I need uh, to, neutral yeah, point. where do I need to go build the, <laughs> the, the, the effective two way communication, right? Where's the trust to be able to say you disagree with the status quo and, 
you know, have you really created an environment where you can respectfully challenge those things and get to the real root of, of what the what the consternation is or what the challenge is? So so that was cool. And, then you know, that those 10 years of lessons, I, I just doubled down and continue to try to sharpen in the in the last 10 years that I've that I've been on on my on my growth and development. But, yeah, you know, that's kind of what formed where I where I'm at today and the things that I continue to try to to finesse and, and sharpen more. Awesome. Anything else in your story you want to talk about from a path standpoint? You know, yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, sure. I would say, um, you know, probably on a on a personal on a personal level, things that I've I've shared with with leaders and, and mentors is, you know, I spent kind of some some of that time in automotive retail, and then I spent some time in the insurance industry. And so where I'm at now, it's like I didn't have that traditional manufacturing uh, experience, right? Like I didn't come in on a traditional path where I was, I was an engineer and wanted to be a process engineer and then went and got a little bit of shop floor time to fill the bucket and then and then gradually moved up into leadership positions and stuff like that. And it's kind of interesting now as I've gotten as I've gotten older, you know, when you go from being the youngest kind of got some good runway in the room to where you go to being one of the oldest in the room. I don't know when that happens, but, but I'll tell you for everyone, it happens. And, and there was a time probably, you know, five or six years ago when I was so focused on, you know, where do I need to be in the, in the title pathway? Like if I'm, I'm this old, where should I be? You know, my boss is here, my boss's boss is here, you know, experience working is the same. And, and things like that. And so, you know, I've had to really calibrate and be like, well, where do you belong? You know, like, where do you, where are you happy? Where do you add value to the organization? Where do you impact? You know, so, you know, I say all that to say like, you know, do I aspire to be a multi-site leader and, and, you know, get to the next level in my career and, 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 and be an executive? Sure. That desire is always going to be there, but if it doesn't happen, you know, like I'm good with that because where, where, where I'm at leading, leading sites, leading large organizations, growing and developing people, I'm at this vantage point now where I'm not looking at me. I'm looking at that next generation that's entering into manufacturing. You know, I've got Same some way. young production supervisors, right? Production managers, department managers, they, you know, they've got plus one, plus two, plus three potential. And I'm like, you know, as Sean Fernando would say, right, where, where, what is your purpose, right? Where are you, where are you supposed to be? Um, you know, this is a great spot where I'm at and I, I just focus on internship programs. How do we share what manufacturing is to the future, uh, workforce generation? How do we, how do we coach and mentor them and say, this is where we're at. This is the history of manufacturing. These are the things on the horizon. Leadership will always matter. Uh, our innate ability as humans to Kaizen processes will always be there. No matter how automated we go, we're the ones that can make that good change. So really focusing on, you know, that pay it forward part of my career, that what it means, um, you know, I, I, I think there's results that I'm responsible for leading, a, leading an operation. But I have kind of wrapped that all up. I said my number one priority is continue to grow and develop people so that you know manufacturing continues to be a competitive advantage for the organization i'm working for or for the future of our society here in the u.s 
it's like the experiences that I have, I want to make sure that I share those and, and kind of relish that opportunity to do so. It's not so much about scale and scope now as it is about the impact to do that as a, as a, as an individual contributor or a leader of an organization. And that's kind of where I'm spending my calories right now, really getting a lot of good energy out of that. Yeah. Awesome. Getting good energy. I had a, uh, so I got a lot of good energy out of a documentary I watched last night. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that documentary, because I've been going to sleep a little bit later at night, you know, as I'm thinking and pondering, yeah. drawing up plans. My basement's full of scratch notes, nice. uh, posters and stuff. So, because I'm a visual learner, I, I recognize this. The last podcast I did, which, you know, when I did the video, I looked at my intro and I'm like looking up and right, up and right, up and right, visual learner. Right. So I was like, Hey, what's yeah. that? Cause I know there's things with that. Uh, I, I looked that up and it's like, okay, so 65% of people are visual learners, mm-hmm. which is what we do, which is what mm-hmm. we strive to be in uh, a lean manufacturing, you know, facility. I'm like, Oh, okay. So when I'm narrowing down the things I need to do or like what I want to do, it's all about the servant leadership. It's about the visual factory. It's about, you know, my body's telling me up and right, um, yeah. visuals, training communication get out in front of it um but the the documentary i looked i watched last night was uh it was called one more mile Mm -hmm. and uh it's a little excessive in a couple ways but it really hit home for me um uh based off of a so basically there's this race in tennessee it's a 1.1 mile loop and there's no end in sight. The last man standing wins. Um, and the guy that won it last year was a guy named Chad Wright. And uh, he's a Navy SEAL. And uh, obviously the guy that won it last year, he comes in and uh, he's got a big old chest. He's beaten on his peacock style. And um, obviously that attracted me personally. I'm like, oh, I want to watch this. Okay, here's a guy that's coming to a competition. He was the big guy last year. And uh, now he's blowing smoke, pounding his chest and said, I'm going to do it again. Watch. I love that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, as he opens it up, you know, hey, I'm a common man um, with an uncommon desire to succeed. Uh, A lot of what you've already talked about today in your story. and there's another guy he's talking about through that whole documentary, um, kind of a guy that he trained with and was kind of coaching him throughout, you know, the training process. This guy goes, does Chad have a weakness? Yes, he does. His confidence. Right. And, and what I've already described, I already told you that, yeah. but, uh, l- let me finish this out before we keep moving. Um, when I'm watching the documentary, I'm thinking, it's mostly, you know, what what's this thing about? It's about winning that war with yourself. Long distance, endurance, fortitude, mind over matter. Um, the, the race director at some point says, it's a hard thing to watch, but it's a beautiful thing um, to watch at the same time. Uh, another thing that Chad says is a man's limit is determined by the strength of his enemy. Um, and he didn't say this part, but I'm going to expound upon it. Determined by the strongest thing, the strongest team within your arena, 
Um, he ends up winning it after 222 miles, 38 hours. They got a couple of, you know, I think there was maybe four 20 minute breaks to lay down and get some sleep. Uh, they climbed the altitude of Mount Everest from sea level plus 10,000 additional feet than down again throughout that process. His final words, there was down to two people and his final words to his final racing opponent was, I couldn't have done that without you. Isn't that awesome? It sure is. It sure is. I, I particularly like the part about no finish line. How do you enter a race where there's no finish line? And I think about, yeah, you know, the whole spirit of continuous improvement, right? And it's like, you know, there's no short, there's no shortage of gaps, right? You know, there's no work True. without problems. And, and we set out to work on a problem. And then it's like, you know, you, you focus on something, uh, you measure it, you visualize it, you track it, you put a lot of sweat, uh, into it and, and you achieve the target. And then what's the next, what's the next thing that happens, right? So we'll now raise the bar, right? Yep. And, you know, you, you know, always have an, a, a vision of what's your ideal and always understand your current and always be able to visualize your gap. But I think what's interesting about, you know, you sharing that with me and I got to watch the, the trailer at least so I could get calibrated was just, you know, how often do do you know how how difficult is it to socialize, motivate, inspire and influence on endeavors where there is no finish line? Right. Yeah. That in and of itself, right, is, is something. And I and I think about while not as dramatic in our manufacturing environments as that type of physical contest that that, that, that Chad was entered in, it, it is that same type of process rigor, process discipline that, that we apply in our in our workspace that, that keeps me motivated, right? It inspires me to get yeah. out of bed every day. No. Right. You know, obviously, I watched it last night. I thought it was cool. I'm going to talk yeah. about it today because I like to do that in these podcasts. Cool. But yeah. I thought his closing comment really tied into to you personally out of the memories, out of what I know about you, out of your path was I couldn't have done it without you. Mm. Right. With his, his final race opponent. Sure. that And while he's cocky and his his weakness is. Uh, overconfidence that sometimes his ability afterwards, because he's playing a mind game with all those runners at the same time. You got, you know oh, yeah. that. Oh, yeah. um, is I couldn't have done it without you is the humility behind it. Uh, yeah. And he probably started there in the beginning to get him where he's at. So, anyways, I'll uh, I'll stop talking about that and. And I think it's good though, Tony, because what resonated with me on that on that statement is I, I do a, a part of my growth and development uh, in the last couple of years was tending to look at other sites, other other plants as competition. Yeah, rather it's not apples than, to apples; it's apples to oranges. Rather than benchmarks, you know, or. Yeah or opportunities to learn from one another or, or to inspire one another, you know, I mean, on the, on the coffee side that, that I was on, you know, all those plants, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, it was always interesting when I was on, when I was on the soda side, you know, I never thought to kick the shins of the plant that you worked at in Dallas, you know, cause I, when I was in Miami, I was like, that's just so, you know, that's a whole other, whole other level. Like, 
if I've got to explain a miss, the first thing I'm I'm gonna the first thing I'm not gonna do is be like, well, I'm here, but did you notice Tony over there? And then when I was uh, when I was on the other side, it was always like just deflect to that, deflect to that, and so it was always you know this that type of environment where it was super competitive and and you were really trying to beat the pants off of the person that's next to you and. Yeah. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it moved the needle, you know, it got the yeah. old network where yeah. it needed to go. But, uh, you know, it was kind of one of those environments. So I, 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 it really resonated me, with me what you were what you were sharing there with that one more mile. Awesome. Cool. Um, before I get into anything else, I'm, I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine questions. That's a lot. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anything else from the career before we dive into those questions? I'm good, Tony. Thank you. All right. Um, any personal life breakthroughs that you've had? Have you had any of those? Yeah, no, for, I mean, for sure. I think the personal, I think I've, I've always kind of lived within the professional sphere and so, you know, my, my wife, Alex, gives me a lot of coaching on the on the personal side and in, in, in breakthroughs because she's a, an amazing networker, an amazing um, partner, um, really establishes good, strong, meaningful, you know, second, third level relationships with folks. And so I, I've been fortunate to receive a lot of a lot of spousal coaching in, in that area on just, the, you know, what does it take to to not only be good professionally, but be good on the personal side. So that's definitely been something that I've been doing, reaching out to folks a little bit more proactively than I did and, and uh, not getting so consumed with, you know, your, your status or progress on the professional side that you lose sight of what you need to continue to keep yourself balanced on the personal side. So value friendships, um, you don't need a lot, but you do need meaningful relationships with folks that are outside your work circle um, and then, uh, what I've learned from, I did a reboot as a parent. So I've got a two and a half year old toddler now too, that's teaching me a whole new slew of lessons. And what I've learned from, from my toddler that, you know, my two older children, I probably was just too naive to recognize with, with Lauren and Aaron, but I'm sure they provided the same vantage point is like, folks aren't always going to do what you tell them to do. They're going to do what you do. So you are always modeling what good yep. looks like. So trying to just live up to that, you know, on the personal side and professional side. Awesome. Cool. Another thing I've learned is like some people just have to go through the process of experience before listening yeah. based off their personality, sure. like people sure. like you and me. So yeah, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, you know, when I was talking to you, you know, mentioned the price of admission and went through the, the whole questionnaire I typically do. Uh, at some point you mentioned it's okay to be versatile. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it was, it was brought up to me when I, when I took a couple of different roles, like I didn't work for a lot of companies, but I had a lot of roles. Um, and you know, when I think about, um, from a regional perspective, leading HR on a regional level, just working with nothing but people challenges, right? We know people metrics impact business metrics and thinking about the business with an HR hat on. And then, yeah. and then people uh, metrics are the foundational yeah. to PM house, right? 
Exactly, right? And then and then another roll. It wasn't up. It was always over, right? The rolls weren't up, it, it, but it, but they were over. And it was like, um, hey, you know how to facilitate a Kaizen, right? Yeah, I can do that. Hey, you want to lead a lean track and and go uh, work on a, a multi-million dollar yield reduction in, in a plant and take, you know, four four black belts with you. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. So, you know, went and led Kaizen's and, you know, moved totally out of the HR space and, and went and uh, let, got, got to lead a lean track. And then it's like, you know, hey, our, our and I'm like, what's next, right? Do have I Have I done enough, right? Have I done enough? And then it's like, well, we really need, you know, strong lean leaders to go run sites. You know, do you want to go run a, you want to go run a plant? Yeah, I'll go run a plant, you know, so have ran, have ran a few plants. And so it's like, when I say it's okay to be versatile, it's like find the growth and development opportunities. The things that are preparing you for something are coming your way. And it's not always up. Sometimes it's over, uh, moving over to the next, to the next slot, to the next position, right? It's not about that you know, ideal stair step where, you know, you're a supervisor, you're a manager, you're a plan manager, you're a VP, you're a whatever. It's like sometimes you're going to spend some time moving over, but always yeah. find the opportunities to grow and develop because I truly believe they're preparing you always for your next opportunities. Yeah. There's no better teacher than, than doing it. Putting, yeah, yeah. Putting into something that's different for sure. Awesome. Uh, how do you remain self-aware? I mean, for me, I always try to think about, you know, okay, this happened. What could I have done better? And here's my cadence and all that kind of stuff. For you, how do you keep your self-awareness? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, the last the last four or five years, right, that the, the, the significant operational challenges our industry has faced and things like that have required different types of leadership styles, along the way, you know, and I think I've tried a number of them, uh, and I've learned from some, uh, some, I've learned some significant lessons with certain leadership styles yeah. that I've learned and I've learned others. With, Mine's you definitely know, with, changed over the course of, you know, the last eight years. For sure. I, you know, I think back and, and it's like for anybody, right. Cause you know, I deal with some, some, some colleagues or some associates have been with an organization for multiple years, 30 years, 40 years, and, you know, a lot of times we talk about change, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, are you the same person you were five years ago? Right. When you think about organizational change, are yeah. you the same person you were five years ago? Well, you know, maybe it was not change. I'm going to throw yeah. in a quote here. I, I, I'm not reading it. I'm just trying to remember yeah. it. But I think it was Adam Grant. Um, uh, I got my book stacked up. Think Again was the book. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was like, if you don't. Maybe it wasn't him, but don't quote me. Uh, if you don't look back on yourself a year ago and be like, man, I was a dummy. Yeah. <laughs> back then. Yeah. Then you're not doing it right. Yeah. Right. No, for sure. And I recently had an opportunity, you know, as I change, you change a role or you change, uh, you, you know, you change your positions or something like that. You, as I'm sure you're, you're, you're you know, you're focusing on is like, how do you go recalibrate your mind? What books yeah. are you reading? How do you, re okay, I reflect on my lessons learned. What are the things I'm going to do better? Where do I need to, where do I need to work on? You know? And so I, 
I always kind of refer back to those 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, right? Yes. And gosh, you know, it's like From the top about the, of my stack, Yeah, man. you know, the law of big mo, the law of buy-in, right? And, and there's great stories. And it's kind of like, you know, the one thing that I've learned um, by failing is like, man, you can have all the strategic vision in the world. You can have the most massive toolkit, uh, know everything there is to know about lean, have the background, do it all. But if there's no leader buy-in, you're, you're just out for a walk, right? There's nobody, there's nobody following you. So I think the self-awareness part is really about before you go and start launching your visions and your strategies and all your great ideas, how are you assessing through self-awareness if if you've got the buy-in or not? And how are you proactively asking for feedback in a, in a, in a one-on-one way you know, you got to have that cadence and things like that. Otherwise, you know, sometimes in a manufacturing environment, the day to day will will consume you. But you have to have that cadence and that moment where the folks you work with know you're going to be asking them for feedback, and then yep. know that you're going to demonstrate the humility and self awareness to take that feedback as constructive and meaningful, and be willing to make changes because. Yeah. Sometimes the way you're hardwired, right? You've got to totally reprogram the way you think about things and the way you do things based on the leadership team you have in the moment too, right? Like what worked with one team doesn't work. And that's one thing I learned, you know, by being able to lead a couple of different sites was each team was so different, you know, and what, what motivated or inspired was totally different. And so I really, I had to change you know, my, my style through the feedback I was getting and being able to read a room and understand the nonverbal communications too, right? Because like you say, you know, 70% visual or 65% visual learners, well, I'd say there's a lot of nonverbal communication going 100%. on that you have got to cue in on or, or you're going to miss, you're going to miss your mark as a leader. No doubt. And, uh, you know, as I strive to hire a, a diverse, you know, strengths and weaknesses type of team and, and yeah. whatever I do, there's a little give take in each spot because like there, there could be some over strengths in one area and Hey, we work on the weaknesses. The, we work on the opportunities together. Yeah. Right. And we, we, we try and get better there, but sometimes those strengths kind of overpower in different areas that not a lot of people see. So for sure. Um, next question. Who's your best mentor? Favorite mentor. And I know a lot of people say they have, you know, multiple. And if that's the case, that's fine. But I always try and seek out that one. Maybe it was a life turning point or like a lesson that just like struck you that just really hit home. Um, But I always got to ask that. Who's your best mentor question? So. Yeah, um, I would say and, and. I think um, I got to call out my mother first um, Boom. as, as far Shamwell. as um, has always um, mother's intuition, always given like really sound advice, um, you know, kind of understands things at a much deeper level than I, I really I probably, you know, didn't think about the more, I, the older I've gotten and the, and you know, the lessons that, that she's been able to teach. And so when things are, when things are really tough, 
um, you know, I've, I've, I've always used my, my mom as a, as a sounding yeah. board. I said, Hey, you might not know what I'm doing for a living per se, but what yeah. do you think about, what do you think about this dynamic? Unbiased, most of the time, yeah. Loves you to death. Yeah. Like, yeah. And most of the time, you know, the, the, the look, all, the coaching I always need is, not operational it's 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 the it's the it's the people side of things you know and and you know because that's what you need to get your results right i mean that's what you need to be effective is the 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 connection so you know just the mentorship there um i would say just you know from the personal standpoint how am i approaching my work my life my my efforts from a personal side how how should i be evaluating frequency severity the potential for this to be much bigger she's always given me a really good lens and a good vantage point on there um and then i would say you know on the on the professional side um for well i will tell you it's it's been a band of a band of brothers and sisters to call out one would be a disservice to so many uh because um there's been a lot of folks that have invested time in me or giving me things, those, those little nuggets that, that, that you, that you pick up on, you know, like how to, how to tell your improvement story with a waterfall chart. Like the moment you're taught that and you're like, how how clear and simple is this, you know, and you use it. I mean, there's just the coaching and development. I've, I've found those moments with, with, with a lot of folks that I've interacted in and there's just so many, the list would be, the list would be too too long. There, everyone has always invested in me that I've come across uh, that would be on that list, but uh, it, it is a it's a top notch list. And several of the folks that you you shared memories of are on that list, and then those that that date back to my my high school years. But uh, but my yeah. mom is a really strong confidant of mine that I that I've really relied on personally and professionally. Awesome. Lucky to have lucky to be able to do that. Hundred um. percent. You know, with your mom, makes sense. Uh, with the professional band of brothers, also makes sense. That's a good yeah. story. That's a good journey. When you can go through that path and have like, I've got all these people around me that uh, I just took so much away from um, that when you walk out of that, it's like, I don't know which one's the best because I got, you know, X, Y, and Z out of, you know, exactly these five different people. That's great. Uh what are some of your most rewarding experiences? You know, uh, maybe it yeah. was a year, maybe it was a month, maybe it was a day. When you walk away from this experience that you had, um, what made you like put your head down? Like, you know, it's nothing but Z's after that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say winning is, as you know, is a with your athletic background, winning is fun. Jim, well. Uh, yeah, I love to, I, I like, I like to win. I like the, I like the art of the turnaround, uh, uh, the fourth quarter comeback, the, you know, I do root for the, uh, for the underdog type of, uh, type of thing. I, I, I would just say hitting, hitting certain new thresholds, taking teams to places that historically, uh, we have not been are the moments, you know, I like nice round numbers. So when, you know, if the target's 46, five, I like 50. If the target's 97 million, yeah. I like a hundred million. Take those it to the whole number. Yeah. Get to the whole number and then sustain it, right. Lock it in, wedge it. Yeah. Um, I like the sustainability piece. 
you know, it was said to me not too long ago by, by one of those mentors, you know, and you've heard it, setting records is fun, but really the wins come in being able to sustain those results over time and lap your results and, and, and be able to really build the muscle. And then you really know you're growing and developing folks. Um, and then I would say the, the, those moments are right in line with Gilberto's story where, yeah. you know, you're able to tell that, that, that improvement story where I took a large, vague problem, I broke it down, I identified a gap, I set a target to, to, to make that go away, I engaged all stakeholders, I developed countermeasures through consensus, I, I implemented those right in a speedy and timely manner. I didn't find a 10,000 ways I shouldn't do what I just yeah. said would be the best thing to do. Another See one. See those through. Uh, yeah. Y- yes, if. Yeah, exactly. And then go tell those. So those are the wins I like. I mean, I like celebrating those wins. I like base hits more than home runs, quite frankly, right? So are, yeah, we, moving, are we moving the needle? You can really build some momentum around that. And there's been – there's been a number of those, right? Whether it's one particular line or a, or a lean track or, or a plant that you're taking to, you know, the next level. I mean, um, you know, those are the things that I find a lot of joy in. And, and at the end of the day, when you talk about improvement, that the people that are actually there doing the work can say for themselves, we did this, our, we did this ourselves, right? We, we, we got there. No one, no one got us yes. there. We needed a facilitator, we needed someone to show us the path to improvement, the methodical, linear, and logical path that we practice for improvement. That to, to be that facilitator and see that growth and development is those are the things that motivate me about my profession and what have kept me in awesome. this in this type of work for for many many years is to be able to do that. Oh, and you get to do that every day. You know, it's it's always interesting because. Um, Planting the seeds. You know, so, yeah, sometimes people think they know what you what you like to do. Actually, you know, you could be a trainer and you're a very effective trainer, and they're like, "Well, there's a thought that you only want that you only like to train." I'm like, "No, I, I enjoy training, but I can go be a trainer in any role, right? You could be a trainer in in the HR space. You can be a trainer in the CI space. You can be a trainer leading the organization. So it's like find the things that that you're good at." That was the one thing I actually liked, Tony, about HR, because you could always kind of tell what folks like doing in HR. The ones that like doing investigations were always doing investigations. And the like the ones that like trading were always giving training. And the ones that like talking about, you know, T and D or or staffing or secession planning were always or talking about payroll issues. You you, yeah. you, know, you kind of it's pick your major. Another you example major. of those different type of personalities yeah. as you build a team yeah. in HR, you got all these different buckets yeah. of what people are talented with and what they want to do and you just got to place exactly. it in the right spot, right? That's it. That's it. I uh, I asked that question because I know you have a lot of rewarding experiences in your background based off the memories, right? When, what people say about you. Yeah. And um, another reason I asked that is because that's the same page that I'm on is because I've been doing some thinking and I've been writing down what's your biggest accomplishment and thinking about how do I answer this question? Mm-hmm. And it's about the folks that wrote some of those recommendations for me. And I'm thinking, Oh my yeah. gosh, you just, because when when I get asked like what's your leadership style, I'm like I don't want this to be like 
something that I had to make up. But those recommendations helped me build what is my leadership style based off of my greatest accomplishment, which is not a plant turnaround. It's not, you know, doing all these other things that hit a metric. It's around um, what do people say about you when you're not in the room? And yeah, uh, I, I think you said, just said the same thing. So, so I had to ask. No, I agree. I, I, and I love the way you tied that in. I think that's a really good reflection for both of us. Um, that's a solid. Awesome. Um, so going into attracting top talent, another mm-hmm. thing that comes from the memories, how do you do that as a Bruno um, att- attracting top talent? Uh, and how do you make that happen? Because it did work. Uh, I, I experienced that in uh, the Texas place. Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, you know, you got to be looking in the right, you got to be looking in the right places. Um, and I think we used a multi, you know, there's multiple strategies that were at play there. When you think about, you know, what role did, did junior military officers play in that? What role did that folks, um, you know, that maybe had been good number ones at certain sites and were ready to take the next level? Where did they, where did they fit? You know, I remember having conversations, um, you know, around your development as well. And it was like, you know, when, when is it time for, you know, Tony to be a company commander, right. And, and go and do those things, you know? And so, um, I tended to look at four things and I got this vantage point through some coaching from one of those mentors that was very significant for me. Um, and it was like, what are you measuring when you're interacting with this, with these candidates and stuff? And it's like, what's the organizational fit? How much runway is there? Where's the current state of their leadership skill and capability? And how much do they know about lean? And, you know, at the end of those conversations, how do you calibrate on a scale of like one to four? So, you're, you know, you're, there's nothing in the middle there. You're either north of three or, 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 or two and below. And how do you have those conversations and how are you assessing for it? And, you know, one of the inter- interview styles that I really liked, um, you know, from the same individual that cued me in on the, on, the, on the fit, runway, lean, and leadership model and how you measure that was like. I know who that is. How do you understand the whole body of work there? Like, I mean, there was questions about like, so tell me what, what, you know, what did you like to do in high school? Right. And you're starting to understand the whole thing and then figuring out where they got and stuff. And you're starting to have conversations that are much deeper than tell me about a time you took a line to, you know, 5% efficiency improvement and stuff like that. You're really kind of figuring out because that's the thing you got to ask. The questions that when you say, well, what is fit organizational fit? Like, are they going to fit in here? They say, how do they fit with this team and the way we think and the way we're, we're wired, right? Are they, are they at the same? How can they add value on day one plus explain or show the value in three months to gain some true credibility? Right. Yeah. And are you really getting to like, what am I measuring here? I want to measure clock speed and horsepower. It's intangible though. Yep. It's, it's, it's a feel, it's the intuition. It's the, I don't know. I need to pull out that book again. 20, 21, irrefutable laws of leadership, but it's in there somewhere. 
No, but it's in there. But I'll tell you that model, because I didn't create it, but I fit in real well with how to facilitate and, and how to do it and how to align. Because, um, you know, I think that was one of the things just coming from a manufacturing background before I, I moved into the HR you know, regional role in supporting lean transformation from HR was I had the, you know, I, I, I had the manufacturing background so I could understand if I was a business operator, what am I, what am I looking for? Right. What are the behaviors? What are the actions? What's the thinking way? Um, you know, how critical are we, are we thinking about yep. these things? Yeah. It was all, that was, that was it too. It's like, yeah, you got some technical knowledge. Um, you know, you got some practical skills, but do you have the mindset to succeed yeah. where are we're? Are you going to be a victim? Or are you going to be a continuous improvement leader? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, um, I I want to take this moment to say thank you for doing that uh, <laughs> in that point in your life because it it paid dividends for sure. Cool. And I was uh, I was a customer of that. Uh, if you could go back and tell yourself to do something differently, what would it be? What would you do? I would have started my manufacturing career a lot earlier. Um, I would have, I would have, I wish, I wish I would have been as, as as squared away recognizing like I didn't, you know, coming out of school, I don't really even knew if I had a full understanding what we, what we made in the United States anymore. Right. It was an interesting it was an interesting time. And then, so, you know, and then I grew up in an area that wasn't heavy, heavy industry, right? San Antonio was about tourism and, and yeah. call centers or working at a, a grocery store, right? It was the big, was the big things there. It wasn't the hub that it is, that it is today. So, you know, I would have found that a little bit earlier. I wish, um, because it is something that, like I said, I, I have come to enjoy, but I had to pay that price of admission. I feel that, that, I call it kind of a lost decade. It had purpose, but I was really trying to figure out like what I was good at, what I wanted to, yeah. what I wanted to do. So I found that, you know, probably 10 years later than I ideally would have wanted to, but, uh, you know, that it's, it's made me better for it as well. You know, as I think about you, your path, childhood, ROTC, um, and my path, you know, there's a lot of untapped resource, uh, within the military that needs to get into manufacturing. Um, for you know, sure. My recommendation and what I hear from you is your recommendation as quick as you can. Um, you just need the right person to, to lead you. And uh, um, I totally understand that. So uh, definitely an untapped resource. Just need more military folks coming into that, um, that ballpark. And uh, I felt the same way. Because I went into, uh, you know, I got out, I got in the oil field, yeah. and I was an individual contributor versus being around people. And uh, that being around people and soaking up that energy, what gives you energy uh, as a leader, uh, you know, amongst the the favorite accomplishments. Um, yeah, there needs to be more folks in, in, in this, I think. So... Uh, I would the, say that, that I was, you know, not to cut you off, but it, no, go for it. it was taught, it was taught to me when I was, when I was in that, one of those HR roles, um, you know, there was the, the part about what do those experiences bring to, to business organizations and how well do they play 
in manufacturing, you know, and I just say, you know, we, we talk a lot about the leadership skill and stuff like that. And the first thing I would say is like, Hey, we all need training. We all need development. Yeah. We all, we're always it's a growing, lifelong right? so, process. Yeah. Wherever you're at, anything in manufacturing can, can be taught. And that's what I love about it is like, you can teach, you can teach these things. That's, that's one thing I learned when I was making trucks was it was like, Hey, people have nearly limitless capability to learn and do more. And so, you know, sometimes it's better yes. if you don't have that experience, right? Cause there's nothing that you need to go reprogram or, or retrain, but there's also the part too. It's like, you know, it's a Friday afternoon. The lines broke down. We're, we're going to stay late. Or we're Saturday stay night. Late. Yeah, we're going to stay late. We're going to stay late tonight, <laughs> and we're going to solve this problem. But it's you know? not a complication to yeah. that type of individual, I don't think. But to be in a situation, right, to have experiences where you're in a tough situation, and you need to embrace the suck, right, and – and the only ones that are going to get us out of the situation is you and me, you know, right. Let's work on love it to have the, Love to have folks with those backgrounds by your side in a manufacturing environment is all I would say. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hell of a behavior to have by your side. Folks that have had those kind of experiences yeah. and dedication and commitment for sure. Exactly. Uh, any final thoughts to share with the listening group based off of, you know, before I get into the price of admission, because that's the next one. Yeah, no, I would just say, you know, the, the things you're doing on this on this podcast are phenomenal. Love that you're, you know, branching out and getting folks that have had a, you know, had a part in in your life and your career and your development. We all come from all different walks of life, which is great. Sure, um, which which I really think is, you know, was the cool stories that you're sharing with a lot of your your football brothers from, from the Academy and things like that. And, and uh, I just think it's a great forum for us to just continue to learn and grow from one another. I, I, I think the more we can share experiences like this and have these kind of forums that we just talk shop. Uh, but at the end of the day, we know it's, it, it all centers around people and our ability as leaders to motivate, inspire and take care of the folks that we're responsible for. It's a really great activity you got going on here, Tony. And I'm, I'm honored to be a guest of yours and even more so a, a, a personal friend of yours. It means a lot to me. Awesome. No, you were always there uh, way back in 2020, maybe yeah. 20, even 2019, when yeah. I was like, hey, I need to bounce this idea off you. I remember. And, and here you are today. But uh, what I'm finding is this platform has a connection on a deeper scale uh, where even like, supervisors of, uh, that I worked with in the past that either left the business or, you know, are doing great things today are now resonating with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And with that, I think there's a lot of recruiting capability in that. Um, you know, I originally started it because I started to feel like a victim of things mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't like that. So I wanted to get myself back around people that were like-minded, that were go-getters, that were like, you know, throw it all at me. I'm not going to back down. And it turned into there's a lot more people that feel like that. They just need to be heard more. And I think there's a lot of potential behind that, especially, you know, with the, the world today. So 
wanted to throw that out there before I got into your price of admission because yeah. we were kind of on that topic. But now's the time. What's your price of admission? I'd say it's twofold. Um, number one is develop the maturity and confidence to be clear on what you need for your own success uh, and to be humble enough to ask ask for it. Um, where you need to close gaps, what what do you need to do to get to the next level and whatever you aspire to be? I think you have to be very clear on that. And that comes from maturity and, and confidence. And then I would say the second part on, on the price of admission is whatever you're doing, just be the best at it. Like give it your all. Um, the comment that Fernando said was like that, you know, that effort was second to none. That's, um, you know, that's, what I've always strived to do. I mean, leave it, leave it all out there at the end of the day. You know, I, I go to sleep knowing that I did it. I did it to the best of my ability. I didn't leave any, any discretionary effort on the table. Um, you know, and it's, and it's proven to be, um, you know, my price of admission. Nice. I'm going to open up my book real quick. I'll look back at the memories and I had a, uh, so I yellow highlight the page of things I want to say, but I throw a few pink highlights in there uh, of things I want to say twice. One is, you know, from Gilberto, at the end of the day, there is no failure in this. It's only learning. Uh, one for Freddie. Um, at one point, you took the steering wheel of the meeting for Freddie to feel, make him feel comfortable. From Sean Fernando, wins come through your, as in Bruno, team. Supported and accelerated talent flow. Uh, made a positive transformation um, in business results. A top talent attractor. Uh, I didn't get to the other ones, but, um, you know, a few other things that you mentioned, chase the opportunities, not titles, own your development. It's okay to be versatile. Um, and that you need to be the best version of you team first and deliver on commitments. Yeah. So, What's your wife's name? Alex, right? Yep. Um, tell her thank you for your time tonight. Will do. I appreciate it. It was an awesome conversation. I've definitely taken away a lot of things uh, as I uh, take notes for my book that I'll write one day. It, it might not be tomorrow, but maybe in you know ten years. But I can see that. Awesome conversation. Um, yeah, that's good. All right, brother. Thanks, man. It's good seeing you. Awesome seeing you. Have a good Likewise. night. All right, partner. Take care. Thank you.